Well, I hope everybody's awake. After that good lunch, I'm telling you, it's, it's hard to not eat all the sweets that I see on the table that I know I shouldn't have, but I did have a no-baked cookie, Terry. I'm just saying that much. I hope maybe some of the things that we talk about this, morning, this afternoon will be something that will be beneficial to you. Where I'm at there in Pasadena, and if you ever get the chance to come down to the Houston area, please come worship with us in Pasadena at the Bay, Baywood Church of Christ. But we've begun a study on the Beatitudes, and I realized Beatitudes actually meant attitudes that we should be, attitudes that should be a part of us. We're to be these attitudes, not to be like them, but to incorporate them into our being. And so we began looking at these, and I had the first attitude, and then I got sick, and so I couldn't preach it. So this is the first time I've preached it, and I hope you all will bear with me as we go through this a little bit. We had a reading, if you will, in Matthew, the first chapter, and, uh, or fifth chapter, excuse me, and I'd like to begin reading there in the very first verse. It says, And seeing the multitudes, he went up to a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall, shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. You know, as I read these verses, I kept coming back to a need to understand what some of these words meant because I really didn't know. For instance, what were these Beatitudes about and what does it mean blessed and what does it mean poor? And I'm going to talk about being blessed are the poor in spirit. What is the kingdom of heaven it was talking about? So I began by looking at the, at the uh, Beatitudes and it has eight Beatitudes that you can see the first four of these attitudes actually have to do with our relation to God. And if you think about it, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are they that mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are those that uh, hunger and thirst after righteousness. All of these are talking about a relation that we have with God, a relationship that we, we have in Jesus Christ. The others deal with our relationship to man. And so I thought it very interesting that as we looked at these, the first thing we look at is our relationship with God, and then we proceed from that to have a relationship as Christ sees we need to with our fellow man. The second thing that I noticed is that the disciples were the ones being taught. You know, a lot of people talk to you, and they'll talk to you about what the Bible means about this and about that, and the truth is, if they're not in Christ, it doesn't mean anything to them. It's a good book of morals, something to help them go to sleep. But for Christians, it means something totally different. It means learning to, to live a new way of life, a new way of thinking. When the Bible says in Romans that we come up and all things are new, the old man's put off, we rise to walk a newness of life, it's talking about learning to walk a new way. 
learning to think differently, learning to be different. And these Beatitudes is a way for us to learn to be the kind of person God wants us to be. And so Jesus begins to teach His disciples how to be a disciple, how to be a believer, how to be a child of God. And the first one of these was, of course, talking about the poor in spirit. And I want to break this one down just a little bit. I'm not going to do all of them. Uh, other guys in the congregation have been working on theirs. And, but, you know, to be poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If we look at this, we find that Matthew is the only place that really talks about the kingdom of heaven. And it talks about it extensively throughout Matthew. The rest is the kingdom of God is near at hand, or the son of man's hour is but yet to come, etc., etc. But here it describes it as the kingdom of heaven. And he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So let's look at the end of this for just a minute. The kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's an expression that is only found in Matthew and used extensively throughout the gospel. And the kingdom of heaven pulls together everything that Israel hoped for. It pulled together the Messiah, the need for a king, the land and how they were going to dwell together, the people being holy and the redemptive power of God that will create holiness and peace. And all of those things are incorporated into this term, the kingdom of heaven. That's why Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that's what his disciples at that time were supposed to teach. The kingdom of heaven was something important. It's something that we needed to be a part of. Now, as you look at this verse then, one of the things you notice, Jesus didn't say that theirs will be the kingdom of heaven. It says theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They're part of that kingdom. In fact, it's a prerequisite to be in that kingdom. Those who are in the kingdom enjoy the benefits of being in that kingdom, of being citizens of that kingdom. You know, I enjoy a lot of benefits as a citizen of the United States mainland that a lot of them on islands in different countries, they do not enjoy. They don't have the same freedom of expression in many places that I hold and have today. So there's a lot of things that I have as a citizen of the United States that other places don't have. As a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, I have a lot of rights and privileges as part of that citizenship in that kingdom. And it's desired that we should be part of that kingdom. Receiving the designation as children of God and in relationship to the Father because they have been redeemed is a highly desirable state. Being part of that kingdom is what Jesus said they were to repent and be ready for. Guess what? It's here. But that's a whole other lesson. We'll talk about that maybe some other time. So the kingdom of heaven belongs to the poor in spirit. But it says next, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed. To be blessed is to be happy. Do you ever think about that? What makes you happy? Have you ever thought about it? You know, my wife and I were growing up and we were young, newly married, and trying to figure out how we were going to make it through this life together because I probably drove her nuttier than a fruitcake, as my daddy would say. There were a lot of things I did that did not make her happy. The circumstances of our life was not real wonderful. It was poor. It was 
uphill climb trying to want the things or have the things we wanted like mom and dad had, but realizing, I don't know how they did it. There's no way they could afford living like that. And so we found out that it wasn't the circumstances that made us happy, the happenings around us, happenings to us, a lot of things I couldn't control. And so that's not what made us happy. Maybe it was because I was fortunate or because we're lucky. Maybe it was just happenstance that I feel good and that I'm happy. You know, in Ecclesiastes 9:11, it says, Time and chance happen to all men. What good happens to me could happen to just about anybody. What bad happens to me happens to about anybody. At one time or another, we all lose somebody. We all have birth into the family. We're all happy. Are those the things that make us happy? You know, the word blessed is used a lot. And I'm going to show some things that maybe that are happy. Happy are those. It might not be what I thought. So as I began to explore this, I began to look at some of these verses. One of them was Matthew chapter 11. And it says, Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Happy is the guy who's not offended. You know, that's not the guy whose feelings get hurt. It's talking about the guy who decides he no longer wants to be in Jesus Christ. To be offended is to be pulled away from or turned away from. So yeah, I could say happy is the guy who's not offended, who's not pulled away from Christ, and I could see that. But what about this one? Blessed are you who when men hate you, and when they exclude you and revile you and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. I'm supposed to be happy about that? That doesn't even make sense. And yet the Bible says that's when you should be happy. That's when you should feel blessed. And we're going to look at that more as we go along. In Luke chapter 11, verse 28, Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. How about this one, John 20 and verse 29. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Happy are those who have not seen and yet believe. You're to be happy. You're blessed in that regard. How about this one? Acts chapter 20, verse 35. It is more blessed to give than to receive. When I was growing up, I thought that was backwards. Because I liked my birthday gifts. And I didn't like giving my sister a birthday gift because we had to celebrate ours about the same time. And when I was younger, it was, I was more happy to get than I was to give. But the older I got, the more I realized I really liked watching everybody else when they got a gift. Blessed are they that, re- that, are, that give more than receive. That makes a little more sense to me as the older I get. Romans chapter 4, beginning in verse 7, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. That's not my idea of what I thought happiness was, but the more I think about it, it should be. James chapter 1, verse 12, Blessed is the man who endures temptation. And we're all tempted, aren't we? Revelations 4.13, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Happy? You know, some of those things I wouldn't think are what would be something that made me happy. And yet the Bible says that blessed are these kind of people. 
So back in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, blessed or happy are the poor in spirit. When I began to look at that, I thought, man, what is he talking about here? What does that really mean? If you were thinking about the, the best characteristic in heaven, the first characteristic you ought to have in the kingdom of heaven, what would it be? Sinlessness? To be righteous? How about obedience? Or maybe to just be in the presence of God. Do you know what the first thing it says is? Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Wow. So what does it mean to be poor in spirit? To be poor in spirit. You know, I found a, a story in Scripture that describes a guy who was being taken and laid at the steps of a rich man. And he exemplifies what the Bible here talks about being poor. And really what it means is to be totally destitute, reliant on others for your daily life. When you look at how that word was used in this story, it says that this man, his name was Lazarus, and he was full of sores, and he's led to his led at the gate of this guy, and would have fain lived on the crumbs that fell from the master's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. That's what the word poor, toches, means. Folks, I have never in my entire existence on this earth been that poor. I've had 39-cent tacos at Danny and Angie's house while I was going to college. And that was a Sunday night good dinner for Don and I. That was a splurge out <laughs> in college. I mean, that's pretty poor. In fact, if it weren't for Danny and Angie, they fed us a lot. We broke their table playing spoons. But I haven't been this poor, have you? That you couldn't even get yourself to a place where you could even beg for some food. That's the word poor here. And that's how that word is used and meant. To be poor in spirit is kind of like we looked at this morning, lost things in Luke 15. And when you look at this lost thing, it says, Father, I have sinned before God and before you, before heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. That's the kind of poor in spirit we're talking about here. It's this letting loose of yourself before somebody who is so much more than we could ever understand to be. It's about letting go of ourselves. You know, it's the opposite of this guy over here. He was a Pharisee, and he says, he was standing by himself and prayed thusly, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all, tithes of all that I give, I have. And, you know, he's just thanking God for the kind of person he, he is and just touting it up. Is that poor in spirit? Look at the example of the other guy, the tax collector he just talked about. He's over here and he says he would not so much as lift his eyes to heaven. 
but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You know, the poor in spirit is a relationship with God. We talked about that at the very beginning, right? Everyone who exalts himself should be humbled and vice versa, according to Luke, the 18th chapter. But Jesus says that it was the tax collector who was justified. Why is that? Why was the tax collector justified? And the guy who did everything God wanted him to do wasn't. Because the tax collector was poor in spirit. Poor in spirit. In Luke, there's a story there. In Luke chapter 21, beginning in verse 1 through 4, it says, And he looked up and saw rich putting their gifts into the treasury, and he saw also a certain poor widow putting in two mites. I have a widow's mite at home. I didn't bring it with me. It's very small, very minute. It was worth about one quarter of a penny of, our, of our, the way that we look at money today. One quarter of a penny. And he looked at his disciples and said, Truly I say unto you that this poor widow has put more in than all. For out of these of their abundances have put in offerings for God, but she, out of the poverty, put in all the livelihood that she had. Those two mites, he said, that's all she had. And she gave it. That's poor in spirit. That poverty, that abject inability to survive without someone else's help. You know why it was called a widow indeed? Because you couldn't get work. You couldn't get a job hardly. If you didn't have family to take care of, you had to rely on somebody else to give to you so that you had a means to eat that night. I've never been that poor. And yet, the Bible says we're to be that poor in spirit as we look at it, to understand and recognize the sovereignty of God. To know we do not have any resources within ourselves and therefore look to God for help and have to depend on Him. It's hitting our knees, being stripped of all of self-sufficiency, all of self-worth, and realizing that before God we're worthy of nothing in and of ourselves, and it is only through Him that we have any worth at all. And that's where we understand being poor in spirit. It's not being abject poverty in life, but it's having that spirit saying, I am nothing without God. Without Jesus Christ and His redemption for me, I am worthy of nothing before Him. It's to let go of everything that I am and take on His Son in its place. The church in Laodicea was one of those churches that had some really good people in it. It says, you say I am rich and have prospered and I have need of nothing. But he says, you don't realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. It's found over in Revelation. You know what he's saying? You have a false sense of your own self. And everything you have should be of God. I think that's what it means to be poor in spirit. They didn't see their need for God. Christian or the kingdom citizens say, I am the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I am him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Poor in spirit. 
That's what it's talking about. It's realizing who we are before the great and mighty Creator, God of the universe, our Father. You know, this morning we talked about being true children of God. In order to be a true child of God, the first thing you have to realize is that you don't have anything. And only all of it comes from Him. He's given us everything. But in order to do that, we have to become poor in spirit. We have to be poor in spirit. The first principle of the kingdom of heaven is that you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven without becoming poor in your spirit. God wants people to see that their personal goodness is not enough to measure up to God's standards. He wants you to see that you're not good enough but are spiritually needy and destitute, that you need Him. Not that you just want Him, but that you need Him. You cannot save yourself. It's a gift from God. And you must beg for His mercy. No, I like that picture of that guy who was just on his knees in total understanding of who he was and how broken he was. Do you remember when you became a Christian? What was it that motivated you to give your life to Christ? It was a realization that the sin in your life had hidden God from him, him from you. It had put you aside and you needed to restore that. You needed your sins forgiven. And only through Christ could that happen. At that moment, you became poor in spirit. But now I challenge you that you've got to do more than that. You have to realize that you continue to need Him and that your spirit continues to be only in Him. And through Christ, you have all those gifts and promises and that you did nothing to get them. You know, I, <laughs> working with the church, I've talked to a lot of people and hung around a lot of people. Marlon Cole was talking one time about doing church work. He was there for two years and said they worked hard. The church doubled in size in two years and everything was growing. And he started to go somewhere else. He said, well, Marlon really didn't do that. We'd have got him anyway. You see, until then, they had nothing. But in complacency, they thought they'd done everything. I'm not saying Marlon did everything. He was talking about somebody else. But the truth is, don't we get that way sometimes? We get so used to what we have, we think, well, we'd have done that anyway. The truth is, without each other, we wouldn't have anything. We wouldn't have anything. Depending on ourselves is at odds with being in the kingdom. We've got to depend on Christ and Him alone. So who rules in our life? That's where it really comes down to. Who rules in your life? Because I'll tell you what, in the kingdom of Sean, it's a kingdom of one. And Sean can do whatever he wants to do, but Sean's not going anywhere. And he definitely won't be a part of the kingdom. Because the kingdom of Sean has no for the true king. The kingdom of Sean has no room for anybody but Sean. But the kingdom of heaven has room for Sean if he'll let go of his kingdom. And it all comes down to who rules in my life. Only the Spirit of God 
Only the poor in spirit will live in God's kingdom. And only His Spirit will keep us from not being alone. Me, I rule in that kingdom. In the kingdom of heaven, He rules because I've become poor in spirit. I've taken on His Spirit. I want to live and allow Christ to work in my life. See, that's what this is all about today. And the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Now listen to this out of Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and opening of the prison to those who are bound. Do you realize what Jesus came to do? He opened the prison doors of sin and He opened up heaven to every one of us. When we become poor in spirit, then we begin to have the kingdom available to us. When we take on the identity of Christ and supplant it in place of our own, then we begin to change. Then we begin to have access to everything that the kingdom has for us, that Jesus has provided for us. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 7, it says, He emptied Himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Now, I want you to think about being like Christ, taking on His likeness. One of the things that He did was to empty Himself. And that's really what being poor in spirit is. It's the emptying of ourself. It's the pouring out of ourself on the altar of, of Jesus Christ and saying, I give that to you. That song that we sang, I give to you. All of me, all of myself, I give it to you. And truly to do that is to say, I no longer think of myself as the center of the universe, but I think of you as the center of my world of my universe, of everything that I need to be. And my decisions reflect that. The emptying of ourselves. America has a real hard time with that. Submit yourselves therefore to God and resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. That is poor in spirit. He doesn't say you have to give everything in life and, and all that you have up and live as a beggar. He says you need to realize that you're a beggar already no matter what you have and that it all needs to come from Christ. The mark of Christianity is a growing awareness of our sinfulness and God being merciful to me, a sinner, and overcoming that through Jesus Christ. He's given me that gift. He's given me that possibility and the opportunity. There's a song. We all sang it before, Rock of Ages. Have you ever really looked at those verses? Especially verse 2 and 3. Not the labor of my hands can fulfill the law's demands. Could my zeal no despite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Vile I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die.
when we sing those words, what you're saying is, I'm trying to be poor in spirit. I realize it's not within me to save myself, and I need you to save me. Your riches save me. But this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit, and tremble at my word. That's what he wants for us. That's what he needs from us. And that is being poor in spirit. It is not going around in false sense of humility. It's literally knowing day by day, I'm saved by the blood of Christ. Not because of what I've done and not because of who I am, but because Christ loved me and gave himself for me. This morning or this afternoon, are you poor in spirit? Do you live in that state? Because if you do, then happy are you. That's the beginning of happiness, is to be poor in spirit. If we can be of help to you this afternoon in any way, won't you make your desires known as we stand and sing the song that's been selected?